You're listening to AshCast, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation podcast. On Tuesday, November 14th, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation, the Bloomberg Harvard City Leadership Initiative, the Taubman Center for State and Local Government, and the Institute of Politics hosted a talk titled, The Challenges of Urban Innovation and Leadership. Kansas City, Missouri Mayor and IOP Visiting Fellow Sly James spoke. Taubman Center Executive Director, Rafael Carbonell, Conversation with Mayor Sylvester Sly James, who we're going to call Mayor Sly. I, 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 it's okay. Uh, you can just call him Sly too, apparently. So obviously we're in the Ash Center, but I thought we wanted to shout out today is uh, co-sponsored by the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation, the Moonberg Harvard City Leadership Initiative, and uh, the Talent Center for State Local Government. So we're gonna dive right in. I think what we're hoping to do is we'll just queue it up with some conversation. Uh, Mayor Sly, you'll find very quickly to not be a moderator. So I just told him, I said, hi, I'm your dead weight for the day. Nice to meet you. Uh, and of course, with this group of your questions and comments, um, you know, we wanna really encourage dialogue. So uh, I think we can start out right in. And you wanna, I-, I was gonna do your intro, but why don't you tell folks who you are? Uh, you know, I've always had or heard that the best introductions are the one-word introductions, like, ladies and gentlemen, Lady Gaga, um, what more do you need to know? Um, I am a uh, the mayor of the city I love. I've been honored and fortunate to have that job since 2011. Uh, prior to that, I was practicing law. I started uh, in 1983 with one of the large firms. I was their first African-American hire, ultimately their first African-American partner. Was there for 10 years, left with a partner friend of mine, Nancy Kenner. We started our own practice. When I was at the firm, we did defense work. I defended uh, doctors, stockbrokers, people who were being sued and decided that my heart was really more on the suing rather than defending side of the equation. So Nancy and I became plaintiff's lawyers doing mostly medical negligence. What's next, but that's kind of later, I don't know, that's just gonna be interesting. Um, I think one of the things I hear in your slide from students is this question of, is there, so many are in either one year here or, or, or in their seconds of two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of thought on what's next for folks. And well, on one hand, you want to maximize your time while you're at the Kennedy School. On the other hand, you got to be looking to what's next beyond your time here. Mm-hmm. What, what would you tell folks, and what would you advise them that is for, if there's any inkling or interest in the world of running for elected office? What, what would be your advice or thoughts? Running for elected office, find someone to be of service today. Um, you absolutely, positively have to have some sense of who you are being elected to serve. And make no mistake about it, the person that you're being elected to serve is not yourself. Um, unfortunately, that seems to be too much of the case in, in current politics. Um, I tell people that you don't have to be in politics to get the job done and to be of service. It helps, it gives you a title, it gives you a base, gives you a little more focus. But if you're not engaged in doing something that's going to serve people today, then what makes you think you're going to be prepared to serve them tomorrow? 
Um, politics is about service. It used to even be called, and still some people still do call it, public service. Uh, with, if you lose track of that and start referring to it simply as politics, then you move, in my opinion, into a different realm. Uh, too often politics is about beating the other side, being elected at all costs, etc., etc., and 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 rising up some pretend ladder of power and success. Public service is exactly that. You are supposed to be serving the public. Find a way to serve the public now. Find a way to do it before you decide to run for something because you may not like it. Because even when you're trying to serve people, not everybody wants to be served in the way that you want to be served. Serving. Uh, if you have this desire or think of being involved in elected office or in politics or in public service is going to make you love, let me simply suggest that you go out, raise some money, and buy a pet store. Put yourself in the window with puppies climbing all over you. People will love you for that. <laughs> if you get into this realm, I don't care what you do, there's going to be a percentage of people who do not like you for whatever reason and do not like what you do. You can stand on the street corner and hand out $20 bills. There'll be 25% of the people who think it should be a 50, and there'll be another 20% who think that you shouldn't be handing out any money at all, and the rest will be thankful because you helped them do something. Uh, just get used to that concept. But the main thing is to recognize that when you enter into the realm of service, you serve, but you get served at the same time. There is nothing that I've done that I thought was of value to people that didn't pay me back more value than I did. It's just that simple. And that's the only way that I can approach things is that I get as much out of what I do as hopefully other people do as well. One of the things you talk a lot about is expectations. So you went into office with some expectations. I'm curious to see what they were and how many they were. And I'm also curious now that you're your second term, the first expectation I had getting into office was I wanted to change the attitude of the people in the city. Um, we have a history in Kansas City of being ridiculously self-deprecating and insecure. We always wanted to compare ourselves to St. Louis or Denver or Minneapolis. And, uh, and we would always somehow find ourselves wanting. Or on the other hand, we would tell people, literally say to people, Kansas City is a great place to raise kids and raise a family. Don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm not kidding. They actually, you would actually hear that said. I thought that was kind of goofy, to be honest. And I had saw no reason for us to be uh, thinking that we were second class citizens uh, to any other city. So I wanted to change the attitude, particularly since we were coming off of a mayor um, who was, let's just say, miscast. His personality did not match the job of mayor by any stretch of the imagination, and it was four years of dead time. And it was, you don't often see an incumbent mayor in the first term get defeated. Uh, he didn't make it out of the primaries. Um, so we had a city that was down, it was semi-depressed, it was stagnant, wasn't going anything. And the first job that I thought I had was change the attitude. Because if you don't change the attitude, you can't change the actions. Attitude drives actions. So we wanted to change the attitude. And we were fortunate we had some things that happened, bing, 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 that changed the attitude. 
uh, Google Fiber, so like in Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas was like, wow, uh, that changed the attitude. It allowed us to talk about Kansas City in ways that we hadn't talked about before. Then all of a sudden, we had Google Fiber showing up in 2011. We had the Major League All-Star Game showing up in 2012. We had the Royals ascending to the World Series in 14 and again in 15. Uh, in 13, Sporting KC won the Cup. Uh, we built streetcar. Uh, we had all sorts of development. We were uh, doing all sorts of things with entrepreneurs during this time frame because of fiber and everything else that came about. And all of a sudden, you saw, you couldn't walk a block without KC hearts, um, caps. Everybody had KC on their bodies. Some place, sometimes it was on their underwear or socks, but it was best. We, you know, it was kind of a rule. Um, and, and that showed outwardly the amount of pride people had in their city. And when people are proud of their city, they will go to other lengths in order to become proud. So they're willing to take the chance. We started attracting more talent and uh, younger talent, and that changed the dynamic and the conversation. So the first goal, the first task, the first thing that I wanted to do was change the attitude, and changing the attitude opened up the doors for us to change a lot of action. Uh, you want to open it up? I got a ton of questions. Let me go in here. Folks want to jump in? There's no hands raised. I'm going to keep asking. So go ahead. Uh, for what? For what? Oh, you said like what? Internships? Oh yeah, always. Every yeah, absolutely. We have a program called Hire KC Youth. That's all about internships and summer jobs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did I do to feel what you were hoping for when you attracted that investment, but also how it's played out, who it served, and whether you are still. Um, like what your opinion about that investment was that? Well, our investment was really relatively minimal. Um, we did not go out for, we, we went after them like the other 1,100 cities in the country did, and they selected us for a number of different reasons. Um, it has been a very valuable catalyst for a lot of different things. Uh, the mere fact they selected us made us front page news around the world. Okay, if you let that opportunity go by without leveraging it, then you're an idiot. You shouldn't be mayor of your city. Uh, so we were able to leverage that not just in the uh, uh, in the public relations sense, but in the real sense with other providers. Because now we had somebody who was offering a service, and the others were a little ticked off. They thought they should get the same deal. We said, same deal for what? Uh, you've never offered this service. So are you telling us you want to offer this service? You want to compete with them? That's good. Competition works quite well in terms of bringing prices down and providing better customer service. So I'm extremely happy that we have Google, have been and, and remain so today. Uh, they have been great corporate partners and corporate citizens. Uh, one of the things that uh, we found out with them was that half of the city was, uh, was digitally left out, the way that they promoted their 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 process of, of, of uh, being fibered up in your home was they created fiber hoods. Uh, fiber hoods were either whole or partial neighborhoods. And the idea was that fiber hoods could identify 
and reserve their place in the queue to get, uh, to get the fiber laid to their homes and neighborhoods by signing up the, a, a requisite number of people as uh, indicated by $10 a month, okay? So if you lived in a fiber hood with 150 people and 100 of them put down their $10 and you did that before the fiber hood next to you, you were first in line. But, and they kept track of it. Green meant you were getting lit with fiber. <laughs> <laughs> All of you who laughed, I want to talk to you later about your habits. Uh, and red meant that you weren't. So what we found was is that on one side of the historic racial divide, it was turning green rapidly. On the other side of the historic racial divide, it was remaining red too long. So we knew that we had a digital divide in the city. And so we had to find ways and strategies to address that digital divide, which also allowed us to address some racial issues as the same way. But we, we have all sorts of mechanisms, partnerships, collaborations that have sprung up in order to do that. I have a policy director, a great young woman who I love dearly, just got married, um, named Declaim Bryant, who really has taken this issue on and run with it and has become a subject matter expert on it. And we continue to work on those issues today. Anytime that you have an opportunity for something catalytic like that and you do, don't take it, then you're missing an opportunity to do things in your city that you ordinarily would not be able to do. So yes, I am very happy with Google. I'm happy with what happened. We didn't give up. Oh, another thing that we got out of the process was, I believe 183 hookups for schools, uh, uh, hospitals, uh, police departments, fire departments, libraries, that they just hooked up once they were in the neighborhood. So those things in order to the benefit, and community centers I left out, those things in order to the benefit of people who weren't buying the product directly, but were able to use it, et cetera. So yeah, still happy. Mayor Slide, just because it's in the news, there have been questions about the future of Google Fiber. Yeah. How are you addressing that? You know, you guys were the, the first and only pilot, and, and so much of the investment has been made now in terms of time. Not worried about it. What basically, what it means is, is that somebody else won't get it, but we have it. Uh, so it's kind of like what happens when I went to law school and heard some of the uh, people talking. I'm in, close the door. Um, uh, I don't necessarily like that, but they made a business decision that it was not doing what they wanted to from a business model standpoint. Uh, but they also made us a, we have contracts with them where they have to maintain uh, what they have done. So, you know, it, it, it's sad for some people, it's gonna still work for us. And uh, that's their business model that uh, they're addressing, not us. Yes. So this is somewhat related to your question. Somewhat related to the Google Fiber question. I'm just curious about regional economic development strategies since Kansas City, Kansas is right there, and kind of how do you work with the cities and at the state level on regional economic development? Oh well, the state level doesn't really apply when you're talking about the regional so much because part of the region's in Kansas and part of it's in Missouri and there's a lot of competition that rolls around as a result of that. One thing that we do have is KCADC, Kansas City Area Development Corporation. And their job is to bring potential corporate citizens, corporate entities, businesses into the region and show them the entire region, whether it's Kansas or Missouri, and let them pick and decide. Um, and that happens. 
uh, quite frequently. We also have KC1, which is an effort to unite the entire area as an MSA, as opposed to looking at it in terms of boundaries and cities and state lines, because there's so much stuff that flows. I mean, state line in Kansas City, in some places, is a line down the middle of the street. Other places, it's crossing a river. Some places, you don't even know when you move from one to the other, to be quite honest. Uh, down in the West Bottoms, for example. Um, so basically, we have experienced some level of enlightenment that we are better competing as an MSA as opposed to disparate cities. When we submitted our application to Google, our response to their request for proposal, we submitted it as a region. First of all, that's what they asked to do. Second of all, a lot of people didn't do that, which accounts for why they got 280-some things when there just aren't that many places in the country that meet their bare population requirements, let alone of the MSA requirements. But be all of that as it may, uh, we, are, we have found new and better ways to work together, uh, but we cannot change the fact that we have two different states with a whole lot of different political subdivisions and some serious political philosophy differences. Kansas City, Missouri is very heavily Democrat. Uh, Johnson County is very heavily Republican. The whole state of Kansas is very heavily Republican. Um, and Kansas City is the blue, uh, blue raisin in the milk uh, in the state of Missouri, until you get to St. Louis on the other side of the state. So there's two of us, really. And Columbia, where the college is, where brilliant people live. Um, but uh, uh, we recognize from an economic standpoint, we're better off competing together where we can. But the competition between uh, was ridiculously expensive and not very productive. Uh, but since Kansas and their tremendous tax policy has run out of money, uh, they don't have a whole lot of money to compete. So we just kind of sit back. Answer your question? Okay. Yeah. Uh, whoever. It is quite high, and we have a reputation for being the smartest, uh, the, the largest smart connected city in the country. Uh, we uh, we use data, data needs broadband. Um, you know, we do a lot of different things in terms of how we utilize that data and our um, and our capacity. Uh, for example, on the streetcar line. We have 25 kiosks that are basically big iPads. You can put information in, you can get information out. But the data that's collected is also available to the public in our open portal. Um, and say you're a business that wants to know whether or not, say you're a restaurateur and you want to uh, either figure out where to put a restaurant downtown. You can gather that data from, from the city and see based on our sensors, based on on, on the, the kiosk, based on all of the data collectors that we have. 
How many people are standing on the street corner of 12th and Grand at 6 o'clock on weeknights? Is that a good place for a restaurant? And if you already have a restaurant there, maybe that's a good time to have happy hour specials. And you can advertise it on the kiosk, and people know, and they come in and buy your, your, your wares, your food, whatever. And businesses in that area have indicated that their profits are up. 80% indicate profits are up that their hours have been either been extended or they've hired more people as a direct result of the flow of traffic based on the streetcar, but also the information that's out there and available. Because one thing that we do is we monetize that information and people who advertise pay for the privilege to advertise, and a lot of them do, and then we split it with our private partner who provides the content for the kiosk. So, we're not just putting it out there, we're getting some money back on it, which allows us to do it. So now we're gonna extend that to the other side of the city on the east side, on the Mass Max line, the, the Mass uh, Max Transit line, and connect the east side to the west side uh, and go across when we get downtown. So all of a sudden now we're going to make that information, same type of information, available to a larger swath of the city. So, uh, it also allows us to better understand and to uh, uh, address service issues. Uh, from the data, uh, we have uh, uh, done some predictive analytics. We have a project called the uh, Innovation Partners Project, IPP. Uh, and the Innovation Partners Project allows entrepreneurs, we have an ordinance that allows entrepreneurs in the city who want to develop a service or a product uh, and they need a testing ground, data, or improving ground, whatever the case may be, they're at that stage, that they can partner with the city by agreement, use our resources, our assets, our whatever, and uh, use that to build their, their product or service and, uh, and, and also to benefit the city. So the conditions are you can use it, but you gotta help us in the process and you need to stay here. And that's worked out quite well. So out of that came some professors at local colleges, Rockers, you can see who are working together, who have created a predictive analytics package that helps us to predict when our water mains are going to blow so that we can replace them rather than waiting for the damage to be done. So it's more systematic, and that means that we have less cleanup, we have less repair work, which means we have lower budgetary strains, and we can do it in a pattern that makes sense. Uh, we have predictive analytics on the condition of our roads. We have predictive analytics uh, about potholes. We can tell within a single block, we can tell within a block and within two weeks time when a pothole is gonna develop. So if you know that before it develops, guess what, you can go out and fix it before it develops and you don't have the pothole. That's a heck of a lot better than not only fixing the pothole after it's done and you're out there and cold weather trying to get it done, but also paying for getting claims for people who ruined their cars or their axles uh, by driving through it or over it. So we always look for the trade-off between what we're able to offer and what we're able to get and to make it a win-win for everybody. I think this show oh, is Thanks again for being here. My pleasure. Uh, you're clearly a can-do mayor and very enthusiastic about what you're doing. I'd love to hear about some of the frustrations that you face as mayor, where you would have liked to achieve more, but where there is structural and other uh, obstacles that you've had to face. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you have addressed it. 
Um, two types of frustrations. One with the state government. I, I'm, I, here's a disclaimer. I have great friends who are Republicans, but <laughs> I have a right-wing, Alec-centric, veto-proof state Republican legislature that is banana nuts. Okay, I'm sorry. They haven't met a gun that they don't love. They haven't, we have no gun laws in our state. And I don't have a problem with guns. I'm a Marine. I would dare say that I've shot more guns than anybody in this room combined and more different types of guns. I bet very few of you have fired light anti-tank weapons or thrown hand grenades or done any of that stuff or fired 50 cal machine guns on a repeated basis. That's all fine and dandy. I don't have a problem with guns. What I have a problem with is recognizing that 19-year-olds shouldn't have guns in cities with no training and no permit required. That to me is stupid. There's nothing to hunt there. And if you're hunting humans, that's illegal. So then when people start ragging on me about the high murder rates, and I say, get some of the damn guns off the street and we can do something about it. But we have been preempted from doing anything to regulate guns, ammunition, or how guns are used. We can't even pass a law that says if your gun is stolen or you lose it, you have to report it to the police, period. We have legislators, the, the chief of staff to the uh, secretary, or to the uh, uh, to the speaker of the house, left a loaded Glock in the public bathroom at the state house for over two hours before anybody recognized it, before he realized it was gone. Okay, they took 38 guns off of legislators going into the Missouri Supreme Court for a meeting. Those types of things that don't recognize that reality in the rural area is different than reality in a dense urban area does not help us to create safe spaces. And it's not about guns, it's about the inability to recognize that different things require different approaches. That's one frustration. The all-fired desire to preempt cities, and they're not preempting it because they think they have a better idea. They're preempting it for political reasons because Democrats often live and dwell in cities and they want to make sure that we don't have the ability to do some of the things we need. And to me, that's just short-sighted and stupid since we create, uh, between St. Louis and Kansas City, we create over 50% of the jobs in the entire state. We have 20% of the population, etc. We are the economic drivers of the state and the things they do inhibit our ability to do that. That's one thing. On the federal level, the fact that we can't seem to get them to pay attention to the things that need to be paid attention to. We get no help on healthcare. We get no help on infrastructure. We don't get a whole lot of help on housing anymore. Uh, things that they have traditionally been in. HUD is cutting back on everything. CBDG grants are, are drying up and shrinking. There, uh, the state is cutting back on low-income housing tax credits where we were able to entice uh, private business to invest in low-income housing by giving them a tax credit, which means that we're gonna have fewer options to build housing for low-income people and workforce housing and all of that. They kept historic tax credits, they're keeping historic tax credits, not because they'll help the city, but because the governor wants to renovate capital buildings and they will then get rid of the historic tax credit. So it's good for the goose, but not good for the gander. Um, 
The other things on a more personal level, uh, another problem. We've got a state on grid to carry 44,000 people, 44,000 cars a day. All right, it is the main bridge between downtown Kansas City and the north of the river, the airport, the downtown airport sits right at the base of the bridge on the other side of the river. Uh, the entire Northland neighborhood uses that bridge. It's the main route to the airport. The bridge has needed repair for years. They haven't spent money to do it. Now they recognize that if they don't repair it in the next few years, it may just not be safe. So here are the options. We can do a $50 million uh, job on the bridge to repair some of the defects. Um, it won't improve the functionality, but it will keep it standing. But in order to do that, you have to close for two years. Okay? That's weird. That's tough. Because one of the first things we have to do is build a fire station down at the airport because we wouldn't be able to get fire apparatus across the bridge in time if something happened. So we'd have to build a fire station according to FAA regulations at the airport. We also have BML a major marketing advertising firm with about 1,200, 1,500 employees right next to the airport. So how did they get there? They'd have to go all the way around to one of the two other bridges along with everybody else. So now we've got two bridges that are overcrowded, creating trams and reducing productivity because the state only has $50 million. The only other option is build a new bridge. And we can build a new bridge adjacent to the old bridge. It would wouldn't require any closure except for a couple of months as they were finishing and having to finish it off. But it's $200 million and the state doesn't have the money to do it. Okay? So guess who's going to have to come up with the difference? The city. We don't own the damn bridge. But it's in our best interest to make sure that that bridge stays open. So now we've got a $150 million project. So we have to go out. We managed to get a tacit idea that the state may be able to come up with another Hundred million, another fifty million, if they do X, Y, Z, and in, in, in one. Okay, so we're counting on that hundred. Now we still have to come up with a hundred. Where are we supposed to come up with that hundred million dollars? Okay, so we're going to have to make some hard decisions. That our city council, some people on our city council are saying, no, we don't own the bridge. It's the state's bridge. Make them do it. And I'm saying, how would you? suppose and propose that I make the state come up with a hundred million dollars. How would you, if I can make the state come up with a hundred million dollars, why can't I make them come up with a billion dollars and we can do a whole lot of stuff? So those are the things that drive me nuts. Um, that the states will push off their responsibilities to us and we have to find some way of addressing them. And at the same time, they take away our ability to govern and run our own city by preempting us time and time again. And the reason they preempt us is to weaken us to further satisfy a political means, a political end. And I hate playing politics. We sent them the state government, the federal government to solve problems. Okay, that's what leaders are supposed to do. And what I find now is, is that what I'm finding is that a lot more times than not, they are creating problems, not solving. And at the end of the day, the problems that they create have to be addressed at the city level because the people who live in the cities are the ones who suffer from the problems that they create, and we are charged with trying to solve those problems for them. So I dislike the politics for the sake of politics and politics for the sake of ideology uh, because I believe that people who are elected to office 
should solve the people's problems, not contribute to them. And right now there seems to be more contributing than solving, and that sucks. Your side of the politics down locally. When you started as your first term mayor, there's a different relationship that I understand between you and the city council. Oh yeah. That evolved pretty dramatically dramatically, uh, in your second term. Yeah. Can you talk us through how you manage that as mayor? When I came into office on the first term, the city council that was there had been through the prior mayor, and they had almost run the city because the prior mayor had not. So they they had goals, they had plans, they simply had no money because they were in the middle of a recession. When I came into office and things started changing on the on the on the revenue side and things were looking up then i had a willing group of people who wanted to get things done and we got a lot done and people liked it our our citizen satisfaction survey ratings went sky high people were happy with the leadership we were building more stuff we were getting written up and doing all these weird things and then we had a number i think we lost out of 12 council people, we lost nine. <clears throat> and new nine new people showed up. Some of them were pretty cool. Some of them were just not so cool. <laughs> they had different ideas about what should and shouldn't happen. And they were... They would often complain, and here's, here's a typical thing. We had a system where we had what, what we call chair meetings, the chairs of the committees, I, I point to them, where the chairs of the committees would meet on Tuesdays and talk about the agenda for the legislative session, the business sessions, et cetera, what's on the table, what do we need to do? Somebody say, well, I'm gonna try to do this, I wanna, I wanna file an ordinance, I'm looking into this, whatever. And we talk that through and go out, we all knew what everybody thought. The new council decided they didn't really want to do that. Um, So we created what they called a work session, which was really, we sit down, we go over the agenda, and when that's done, everybody gets up and leaves. So they weren't very proactive. And then they started to complain that meetings took too long. Um, Staff gave you too much information. And then something would happen, then they would complain that they didn't know about it. And I don't know how many times I say that information has been out there on the website, on your website, for five years. If you didn't bother to look it up, that's your problem, especially since you don't want to come to meetings and talk about it. So we had some of those issues. And that's not true of everybody, but it is true of some. And it's just enough dissonance to make it difficult. Um, And I'll be honest, I was pretty used to getting my way. Um, because I was working with a group of people before and we agreed on things and we moved fairly seamlessly and we got a lot done. They, now we're in an election period. You know, there's nothing like politics to take a plan and put it on its head. Not for any real reason sometimes, but the only way that you can stand out, this is my problem with the whole system in the first place, the way that you stand out is by standing against, okay? Whatever is going on, if you want to stand out and you take a position in opposition to it, you try and build a different base. That's a stupid way to do it considering my 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 favorability rating. You should be hugging me, not throwing stuff at me. Um, 
But the bottom line is that when you have people who go who start going in different directions for the wrong reasons, then you have drag on the system and you don't get as much done. And that's kind of where we are. Hi, Elon. Hello. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Um, so yeah, I was hoping that you could speak uh, a little bit about Casey's stat, um, sort of from two perspectives. One, um, how you went about really instilling uh, a culture of data-driven decision-making and continuous performance improvement um, internally um, within the organization, and then also how you've been able to uh, so effectively engage citizens in that process. Okay. Uh, you have to understand the KC stat is the outward manifestation of a bunch of things that go before it. Uh, the internal performance management system set up by our city manager, who is a brilliant guy, been there a long time. He's had a budget for a long time before he became city manager. So he knows where the money is and how that works, and now he knows how the administration works as well. Um, but he had a performance management system that uh, was pretty good, but then we overlaid a couple of things on it. 311, if you know about 311, that's the call and complain line. Uh, we started getting that data collecting it. And then um, we also started um, collecting information from our citizen satisfaction survey, uh, where citizens would literally tell us what they thought was important, what wasn't, and how important it was, um, et cetera. So when you combine the performance management, the 311 information, the citizen satisfaction survey, and you try to figure out how to use performance management to, to satisfy the demands being identified in the citizen satisfaction survey, you apply the 311 performance measure, and you put that all together in a visible outward package designed to uh, bring the necessary components of city government together to solve the basic problems. So at first we organized them around the departments. We have a, we'd have a month, uh, this month we would meet uh, the KC staff with public works. Next month we'd meet with city plan. The month after that we'd meet with the police and fire for public safety. And we would learn more about the individual departments, but we weren't making the progress. So then we organized the, the KC staff meeting around the citizens, uh, around the council uh, committees. Uh, so, and I use this one because it's easiest to understand um, the uh, neighborhoods of public safety. When you look at neighborhoods of public safety and the goals that they have and identified in, in our strategic plan, then you recognize that you have to have public safety, you have to have animal control, you have to have waste management, you have to have police, you have to have fire, you have to have ambulance, you have to have codes enforcement, all of those things at the same table in order to address neighborhoods and public safety. So the byproduct of that was now, instead of having siloed individual departments, you've got cross-departmental work going on and collaboration between all of those departments to achieve a goal. So when you do that, one of the things that happen is, is that the people involved in those departments trying to achieve that goal become more innovative and start sharing more information and become more efficient. And then the goal gets set for the goal uh, for that to be achieved without necessarily looking at the individual departments. Um, that's all pushed out publicly. 
because we want the citizens to know, but the citizens also contribute to it, not just in the survey, but they can live tweet, they can Facebook, they can call, they can watch TV, they can come and sit in on the meetings, whatever. And by doing that, we build trust with our citizens group so that then when we're able to show that these components over here are leading to better service delivery mechanisms at a cheaper rate over here, then now they know how it got there and they appreciate that and they ask for more. So the citizen satisfaction surveys keep going up and up, and as they go up and up, the goals keep moving out and out, and as they keep moving out and out, we have to find better and more innovative ways to achieve, and that works to everybody's advantage, and it's just a continuous loop. Mm -hmm. This is like building the feedback loop like that is how kind of- uh, You have to. Yeah. You have to, but the, but the main component in the feedback loop is the citizen satisfaction survey because they're telling us what they want, what they think is important. And what we're doing is trying to find the best way to deliver what they want need uh, in the most efficient way. And when we're able to do that, then they appreciate that and it allows us then to go to the next stage and say, we need this, we need to do that. And they're then more up to speed. We don't have to do as much convincing. Put a little more meat on the bone. So you, you talked about Google Fiber and some other things that kind yeah. of were external factors and helping helping everybody kind of coalesce around the idea of forward motion for the city. Right. Um, is there is that able to come from within as well? We wouldn't have gotten Google by sitting around on the street corner saying, "Gee, I hope they come." The way that we got it was we had a whole lot of people working their tails off together to get um, everybody who competed for that particular prize had a pretty extensive network of responding. I mean, the, the, the things that were, went into our response to, to, the, to the request and to our uh, approach were multifactorial. And we had entrepreneurs, we had government people, we had corporate interests, we had all sorts of people working together in order to get that done. So everything, and I think this is what, what we try to preach and something, frankly, what we learned everything starts with pulling together the right people to work collaboratively to get it done if you don't put a team together you cannot achieve it's not it's too big for any one person it's too big for any one company you have to bring the elements together in a way that they're all working for the same goal at the same time in the same way and and focused on getting that when you do that and you succeed then all of a sudden the idea of teamwork works look what happens to a football team when it doesn't have the team leadership and chemistry. It falls apart. When you've got a team that's got, you, you don't even have to have the most talent. If you've got a team that's gonna work together well, then you're going to succeed more times than you fail. And that's exactly what we found out is by working together and putting people together to, uh, uh, to achieve and chase a goal, um, that's what happened. We did the same thing, we're doing the same thing with Amazon. In 45 days, we assembled a team of over 200 people that worked to put together an extremely complicated response to the proposal. Uh, we had uh, BML, the company I was talking about, 
put together, put up a website uh, that only Google can, uh, Google, uh, Amazon can access, that is superior. Something that would have taken them three months, they did in three weeks. And it is high, high quality. Barclays, with the Amazon review process, they did all of that. We also have people who had to come up with basic things like, what are the sites? Where are the utilities? What's the, what incentives are available on these sites? Uh, where is everything located? All sorts of stuff. We had 200 people working, meeting every week as a big group and, and every week separately in small clusters of, of subject matter groups. And we got it done and at the end we all celebrated. We all feel good about it. We all recognize that everybody contributed. When everybody has a sense of contribution and ownership, then things start to turn around. And just so, like me, you had a front man making a very unique pitch. Have you all seen Kansas City's pitch to Amazon? If you have, you should go Google it. You want to tell them? <laughs> Barkley came up with this brilliant idea that we would buy that we would buy a thousand Google or Amazon products and review them. Um, and in the process of reviewing them, every review would contain a fact about Kansas City. So when I pulled wind chimes out of the box, it was these wind chimes are really great and, and their tone is superior to the more expensive brands and they will fit very nicely in my very affordable house in my affordable neighborhood in Kansas City overlooking downtown Kansas City where it's really beautiful in life. And my neighbors love it because we all know each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, did, I embellished a little and kind of made it up, but if you go, you can look it up. You can look it up, it's called uh, KC Five Stars. And so everything that we reviewed, uh, we, we gave eight five stars, and every review had something about Kansas City in it. So when Amazon is reading these reviews, they're reading about Kansas City, a different fact. The fishing pole, this fishing pole is really cool. Uh, it's one of the better fishing poles that you can use. And we can use it on the 2,000 miles of shoreline within three hours of Kansas City, you know, or, or whatever. Or this, this, this horse-faced backpack is really great. Uh, and if you look over to your shoulder and into a mirror at the same time, it almost looks like it's in 3D and charging at you. And our kids in our schools are absolutely going to love this because they, and you know, we did that with every one of them, and it was really pretty funny. So within about a week and a half of that, we had over two two million hits, and and at the end of it, we were like in 30 million, something like that, and we got written up in the Seattle Business Journal and Time Magazine, and I was on. Uh, that Barney guy show on whatever TV station it is, and Fox News and all sorts of stuff. And it was really kind of interesting. And then of course, like I said, you're gonna have to present it. Well, if you're doing this, you're just throwing off the rating system of, of Amazon. And I was like saying, seriously, you think that you think that these number of things are gonna seriously impact the credibility of their rating system? And and, and if they're not selling things that are five stars they shouldn't be selling um, so we gave all the stuff that 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 was purchased was purchased for private money and all the stuff that was purchased we gave to a charity or another so then another way started you know uh, arts tech uh got all of the art supplies and stuff that we ordered and then they started posting on facebook and twitter opening the, the amazon boxes and pulling all the stuff out and talking about how good it was 
the linens and things like that that we gave to uh, uh, battered women and children shelters, they started doing stuff. Um, you know, the school supplies, the backpacks, everybody posted it and gave it five stars. And again, it started that cycle. But it also got citizens of the city to send in their own ratings on stuff and, and do something about Kansas City on things we hadn't purchased. And so they were involved in it too. So it worked out pretty damn well. I mean, at the risk of interrupting a question, just to run with this thread. So the Amazon sweepstakes aside, yeah. talk about your economic development strategy, particularly around economic equity yeah. and economic, economic mobility. Because chasing Amazon, you're in the game, you're in the hunt, you're competitive, gotta do it. And what have you, what have you done and what's been successful in the economic mobility space? Um, we had an election. What month was it? April. April. We had an election in April to pass an $800 million general obligation bond for basic infrastructure that we were able to get passed. Now, each of these questions in that, we had to have three questions because our bond council said you cannot combine roads, streets, bridges, and sidewalks with flood control. You have to have a separate question with flood control. And you can't combine either of those with ADA compliance in a pet in an animal shelter. So we had to have three questions. Each question would result in an increase in property tax. The media said you're crazy, it will never happen, especially since you have to have 57.1% to pass. We chose those areas for the basic infrastructure package because those were the top things listed in the citizen satisfaction survey. So we didn't pull them out of the air. We said, for years you've been saying, fix the roads, streets, bridges, and sidewalks, fix flood control, we need a new animal shelter, yada, yada, yada. Here it is, $800 million, wanna pay it or not? It's gonna result in property tax increases. And they said, yes, 61%, 65%, 67%, okay? On that same ballot was a tax initiative, one eight cent sales tax citywide, that would be used in a discrete area of Kansas City in the uh, in the African American part of town for economic development, and it passed. Um, and so we set up a board to shepherd that through, but it's working uh, to to do for economic development. It's not going to generate that much money, only about 15 million a year, but in conjunction with another. Uh, project and process called KC Cure, Kansas City Catalytic, Catalytic Urban Redevelopment, um, which go, has gone in and selected three significantly sized areas to make significant invest, catalytic investments in order to achieve some uh, higher level of economic opportunity and housing, etc. So between the two and combining those two, we now have started to find some real ways to address uh, economic development inequities that have taken place in the city. In the 20s, J.C. Nichols, who developed the plaza, uh, started and was a huge real estate mogul, owned tons of property, building lots of houses, started putting uh, restrictive covenants in, in housing deeds and, and property plans that would disallow Jews and, and Blacks from living in those areas and it created an artificial uh, racial dividing line, Truce Avenue, 
that still has that impact today. Lessened, but still there. The things that we are doing with KC Cure and uh, one eight sales tax are helping to alleviate that, but that's not all. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce has, uh, has a program five big ideas. One of their big ideas is uh, the Urban Neighborhood Initiative. And what that is, is the Chamber taking an intense, focused, and permanent view and engagement in urban neighborhoods in order to make change. At this point, uh, we have uh, collaborated with the neighborhoods and brought some neighborhood functions, job training, job opportunities, etc., cetera, uh, beautification, cleanup. But we've also uh, started a school uh, in the neighborhood in collaboration with the Kansas City Public School District, but it's a charter, but it's on a contract, so it runs and operates like a charter, but the results can be attributed to the KCPS. That's all neighborhood initiative and it's being funded. And um, uh, around that, we have one of our big real estate developers assembling land for a major housing area. Won't be, you know, it would be some multifamily, but a lot of single family. Um, that will be quality stuff that people can afford in the area. Um, all of this is designed to create a level of equity. And don't forget what we said about broadband and digital inclusions. All of that's going on as well. Um, those are the things that are going on right now. And, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, you start it today, and 10 years from now, you'll see the results. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> we were scheduled to go to four. I also saw four. I think there's one yeah, talking. Yeah, we can go to four. Okay. Okay. So we understand if you have to leave. We hope you won't. Um, let's keep going on the questions. Um, I think there's one in the back there first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, there's one in the back right there. Oh, sorry. Thank you. What we've done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In my experience, in trying to create change, one of the obstacles that frequently occurs is there are entrenched interests that are holding on for dear life. They love the status quo, yeah. and they don't want to change. And I'm wondering if you can talk about strategies, if you have any, strategies that you have used where you have been able to deal with that issue successfully. You know, we when we were having the uh, big debate about airports, and we ran into some of those entrenched interests, um, one of the matriarchs, she's probably 90 years old, um, that is really very, progressive in her thought and approach and has been involved in the city for I don't know how long I told my chief of staff that we would be benefited by some strategic debts and I thought well, that's harsh <laughs> but she's right um, the best thing that we found is peer pressure uh, because you know, some of the ones that were holding on, and a good example, we fought and fought and fought some of those interests on streetcar back in 2011, 
when we were putting the package together because what we were going to do was in, in our TDD, it required a sales tax overlay and a property tax assessment. And the people who owned the property were horribly, horribly resistant to it. They did not want it. It's gonna cost us too much money. This is old technology. Why don't you wait until self-driving cars are out? And I thought, you know, you think that's gonna happen next week. That's not gonna happen for a long time, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately what we found was we turned their kids against them. Um, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but we, we convinced some of them enough of our corporate interests that since you say that you need talent, particularly tech savvy talent to run and operate your business, your tech savvy talent, your kids aren't coming back here with the status quo. They don't think like you do. You want your kids home? Build a city for them. Stop trying to build a city for yourself. So we marginalized some of them that way. And then when we got some of them marginalized, then we used them to work on their cronies and get some of them. And then what we did was we put some of them in charge. So in the streetcar authority, the people who were some of the people who were complaining the most, we put on the streetcar authority. Now, it was their idea in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's good, and they're doing good stuff. And I don't care who gets the credit, we got the streetcar done. Um, I think you have to find different strategies for different people. But the one thing that we preach is, and we still preach it is, you need to understand that you build cities for the next 40 years, not the last 40 years and not today. You're building cities to attract people, not your age. But they're <laughs> and they think differently than I do. You and I, you're younger than wow, me by that's, far. That's new to me. <laughs> but if you want to have a city that is going to address the things that are coming, you need people in that city who know what the heck they're doing. That ain't me. Uh, I want my daughter to come back. She came back. Uh, my sons, when they finished high school or, or college, they went away. They came back. Um, and that's what I hear from a lot of people my age. You know, the grandkids are scattered all around the country. I really want them to come home. Uh, well, you have to build a city that those parents of those young kids want to live in and can find work in. When I came out of law school, it was, it doesn't matter where it is, find a job, okay? Now, that's not necessarily the case. A lot of times now, I think it's find the city you want to live in and create your own job. And when the, some of those well-heeled uh, anchors started to realize that, they started to change. And then it only takes a success or two before they get on board and start claiming it as their own. And then you put them up on a pedestal and you talk about how great they are and they like being stroked, so they continue to do it. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask about the airport and specifically, I mean, very good advice about how we deal with uh, opponents and Stakeholders. So, what's your best case for the airport? And how how are you guys guys gonna get it done? Let's tell me. Yeah, we've already done that. You got it. Oh yeah, we had a seventy six percent pass. Yeah, seventy six percent voted yes, twenty four percent voted no, and it only took us about five years to get there. <laughs> it was no, it was no problem whatsoever. Um, and and here's one thing that I think you all will always remember. I don't care what the issue is. The first voice you hear is negative. It's always the people who want to say no. They're always the loudest. They're the most persistent. 
What you always need to remember is they not they seldom represent the majority. They often represent a small minority. They're just loud. The people who are in favor of things don't often come up and say it. You know, and you have to find a way for them to make their voices heard. Um, but we've got this group called Citizens for Responsible Government in Kansas City. I absolutely love it because they have no idea what they're doing. And, and, I, and I made the mistake once, I call them CAVE people. And CAVE is an acronym for Citizens Against Virtually Everything. <laughs> and they've been mad ever since. You know, so, but the bottom line is, is that they have never once been in favor of anything. I, and I mean that sincerely. We had 11 elections, or 12 elections. They've been opposed on every single one. Our record is 11 and 1. Okay? So obviously they're not in the majority. Um, they purposely disseminate wrong information. They did robocalls uh, when the election was on November 7th, where they were reminding people to vote on November 17th. Um, they had no disclaimers. Uh, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. So you always need to remember that don't be distracted or afraid of the initial negative voice because they seldom represent the entirety. However, you should listen to them and find out if there's something in what they're saying that you need to address with the majority because there might be some kernel of truth in what they're saying, something that you need to be aware of, and you should just shut it down and ignore it, but recognize that that's not the majority. Okay. Are there any other questions? What are some of the policies that incentivize employee-owned corporations in Kansas City? I'm sorry, policies that incentivize employee-owned corporations? corporations, like corporations that have majority of shareholders that are employees. None. Uh, that's not something that we do. That's a company business issue. Uh, we incentivize the company on certain things that are necessary for expansion or land use or development, but we don't get into the internal mechanisms of the company itself. That's a dangerous thing to do from a governmental standpoint. Hi. specifically if small business and entrepreneurial job growth, then to the extent that you can incentivize entrepreneurs and find ways for them to succeed. For example, we have Launch Code. Launch Code is a program where uh, selected entrepreneurs are getting $50,000 and a place to stay, live, and work in a, a rent-free environment along with mentorship uh, for a year as they perfect. Uh, and then as they perfect and start to do that and, and come out of that cocoon, uh, then they are expected to stay there and move their business. Now, some of them don't 
succeed, they fail. A lot of them do succeed. I verify as one sold for a whole lot of money to Alibaba. Uh, Bloom is one. It's now a billion dollar business that's, that's there. These things started very small and grew, and we, we basically tried to give them a nice nest in which to lay the eggs and grow. Uh, on population growth, the best thing you can do on population growth is to provide good neighborhoods, uh, reasonable housing prices, and job opportunities and quality education. Now, we have pockets of quality education because we have 14 school districts in whole or in part, and we got some pockets of not so good education. Which one is growing faster? In, you know, the quality education. What happens when you go look for a house and you come to a real estate agent? Oh, you have kids? Yeah, I got kids. Well, this neighborhood over here has a great school. This neighborhood over here is at a Sutton school. Don't go there, don't here. So we have those issues to deal with. In terms of economic growth, we try, first of all, to make sure that we diversify to the extent that we can, but we also want to get as many different businesses to come into the community as possible through Kansas City Area Development Corporation, through the Chamber, and through direct contact. Because it's through having those businesses there, that's their jobs, and they bring some with them, people with them, and getting it out. Third thing is, you must market your city. You've got to market your city. You can't just sit there and think everybody's going to know about it. That's especially true in the Midwest, where people in New York or on the coast, one or the other, you know, are totally geographically ignorant, you know. Of, you know, it's like, okay, there's nothing west of Philadelphia until you get to Chicago, and then there's another big open, sparse, vacant land until you get to LA and San Francisco. Uh -uh. There's a lot of good stuff going on in the Midwest, and, and we're starting to make sure that people know that. You have to market your city all the time, and the good things about it, you have to get out and tell people who you are. It's like anything else. Show of hands, how many folks here have been to Kansas City, and I do not mean connecting through the airport? Cool. You need to go. This is super cool. It is super cool. Yeah, we're doing some good stuff. Can I close this out here? Uh, Mayor Slide, so you got, what, a little under two years left? Uh, year 20 months. 20 months. 20 months. Uh, what one or two things are a priority for you to accomplish that are realistic? And then to close this out, what's next for you? Um, on a physical basis, development basis, we've got to address the bridge. That's probably major project number one. Um, there are two other things, both of which directly affect kids. I didn't talk at all about the Urban Neighborhood Baseball uh, Initiative, which is a partnership between the Royals, uh, Major League Baseball, the city, and uh, some others. It's a $19 million project right in the heart of the African American community of 18 combined that has championship level fields where kids in the urban core can work with people in the Kansas City Royals organization to learn the game of baseball, to learn the game of groundkeeping, to learn how to be an announcer, to learn how to keep statistics, to learn anything related to the sport or anything related to things that have any tangential con uh, contact with the sport at no cost to the kids. The Royals were paid for operating costs up to $500,000 for 20 years no cost to the kids knowing that. That's amazing uh, when you think about getting kids someplace to go. The other is turn the page to KC where we're, we're working to, we still have to meet our goal of 70% of the kids reading proficiently by the time they finish third grade by 2020. So, yeah.
2020. We're at 53% now, uh, and we, we still have some ways to go to get there. Along with that, we're looking at suspension information and mobility information for kids, um, uh, absenteeism and those types of things that have an impact. Kindergarten readiness, the 30 million word gap, talk where you play with your child every day, all of those things. So making sure that our kids have a future and making sure that when they have a future, they can get to the damn airport across the bridge. <laughs> What's, uh, by the way, can you plug Kansas City? So if your baseball fan is also home to the uh, Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame. It is cool. Which, which is small and super mighty. It is really cool. It's really cool. It's really neat when you see, if, you ever, if you're ever there and you happen to have the pleasure of going on the tour with Bob Kendricks, the president, Bob takes a breath at the beginning and talks for 45 minutes as, as he takes you through, regaling you with story after story and the history of the Negro League, which started in Kansas City. Um, you know, uh, everything started there in terms of baseball for, for African Americans. I did an annual baseball trip with friends, and we did this. And the guy giving this tour was, you know, what, what's your role here? He said, oh, I'm, I'm the president. I run. Uh, on the trail of working for things that I care about uh, in a way that actually accomplishes things without getting into politics as it's being practiced today. I just don't have a lot of faith in getting things done uh, in that vein until people start understanding that politics in this country shouldn't be about bludgeoning your opponent uh, into submission so that you can then uh, uh, come up with short-term answers to long-term problems so that then the next component can blood you in the submission. Uh, until we start changing the way that we approach things, I'm much more interested in trying to help find ways to solve problems. I'm not interested in all that election stuff. It is not necessary for people to kiss my rear uh, because I have an open title or open doors for me and all that stuff. That's not what it's about. It's about public service, and that's what I'll continue to do. I just won't do it in an elected capacity. Maybe we get you back here in a year and a half, two years. Yeah. yeah. Great. I'm always happy to be here. It's always cool to be at Harvard and dealing with Bloomberg. Talk, I mean, two fantastic organizations. Mayor Slide, thank you so much thank for you. coming. You've been listening to AshCast, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovations podcast. If you'd like to learn more, please visit ash.harvard.edu or follow the Ash Center on social media at Harvard Ash.